Heather, is that good? Hot dog. Romans 8. And let, let me say up front, thank you to Blake. Thank you for your church, for allowing me to, to come. This is an honor. I'm thrilled to death. No, I am tickled pink. Romans 8. If you get there, you beat me to it. I had it, and then I lost it. Beginning at verse 15, no, verse 18, and Paul writes, and he says, For I consider that, that the suffering of this present time is not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation for the the, the creation waits with, with, I'm going to do that all again. I'm still learning to read. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be re revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free free from bondage to corruption, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for, for, for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen isn't, is not hope. Who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So, real quick, the, the context of Romans 8 is living in the Spirit. You, you can see that up in verse 5. In verse 5, Paul writes, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds 
on the things of the Spirit. So what, what is it, what does it mean to, quote, live according to the Spirit? I need to know, because I'm not going to be able to see the goodness of God in suffering if I don't. What is it to live according to the Spirit? The, 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 Greek, the Greek word that Paul uses that we translate according to in verse 5 is the Greek word kata. And the word kata means to move towards or to move along with. So, To live according to the Spirit means I'm living, and as I'm living, I'm moving with, and I'm moving moving towards the Spirit. I think this is huge for everything we talk about tonight. Seeing God as good and suffering does not come in the intellect. It does not come through, it it does not come through a system of theology. And because we're we're formed, or we're this, we're that we can do this. Now this is the act of the Spirit. Because we're not talking about believing that God is good in suffering. We're talking about seeing it. Seeing the unseeable. I can believe I can believe that God is good in suffering because I have the right theology. I have and that's important. But that doesn't mean that I can see it. And what good is believing it intellectually if I can lay hold of it at a gut level and see it? I've got to live according to the Spirit. Living according to the Spirit comes in the context of having an encounter with God. Seeing God as good and suffering comes when you encounter God. For me, it was in a waiting room over at Mercy Hospital. So here's my story. I'm born with, I'm born at Mercy a long time ago when it wasn't called Mercy. It was St. Edward's. And I'm born with cerebral palsy. Long story. The doctors told my parents he won't walk, he won't talk. God did a miracle. I, I I didn't grow up Baptist. I didn't grow up Reformed. I, I grew up in, in, in non 
non-denominational charismatic churches will lay their hands on you and hope that you get healed. And I, I believe in that. I shouldn't be walking or talking, but yet I do. That was God. I I grow up to do everything that they said I never do. Get married? Can I introduce my wife real quick? She doesn't always get to come with me, and tonight she's so pretty. You've got to wave your hand. This is my wife. We get married, have our first child about a year later. Yeah, I know. A year later. We don't know anything's wrong until after the birth. And we learn after the birth Hey, things aren't right. Your kid cannot eat. We need to fly off to, to Little Rock like tomorrow. So it's about 11 o'clock the day that he was born. We can't be with him. He's off in ICU. I can't be with my wife. I thought she was asleep in the room. I'll get back to that. So I go into this empty waiting room 11 o'clock at night. My kid may not make it. I'm in the same hospital that I was born in when I almost didn't make it. And I go, Lord, I, I, I need I need you to say something. I need something. And out of the quiet of that waiting room, deep in my heart, I hear, Jamie, I'm all-knowing. I know every, everything. I, I knew what was wrong with your boy in the womb. And Jamie, I'm all powerful. I I can do anything. And I I could have healed your son in the womb. You would have never known that's your issue. But Jamie, I, I didn't do it. I didn't heal your son. And not only am I all-knowing, and not only am I all-powerful, I'm completely good. Which means everything that I do is good, and by default, everything that I choose not to do is good. And he puts on my heart, Jamie, I'm... I want you to begin to thank me and praise me for not hearing your son in the womb. And that made no sense to me. But, but I obeyed the Lord. I mean, you better obey God. Right? And I begin to thank the Lord 
and praise the Lord for not healing my son. Do I believe that God heals? Yes. Does God heal cancer? Yes. Does God heal cerebral palsy? Yes. In the moment, on the spot? Yes. Can, can we move in the supernatural? God, I hope so. Oh, I'm, I'm out. But he's free. He's free. See, I was taught it was always God's will to heal. And God began to teach me, but what about if I don't? Am I less good when I don't? In Romans 8, 18 to 25, became bedrock for me. And my, my wife and I both went through like the next five years well, God totally, not, not to, God really began to shift some of our focus. Paul's main point in Romans 8, 18 to 25, is that for, for believers, all suffering is leading us somewhere. It's leading us somewhere. It's not random. It's not accidental. It's not just because. It's leading us somewhere. Look again at verse 18. He says... For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. So here's what I deduce. At the present time, we know suffering. But in the future, we know glory. How many, how many of you know that the ways of God are death and resurrection? De- death and, and resurrection. God loves doing things this way. Death and resurrection. We read in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 3, Paul says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried Therefore, with them in by baptism into death, in order that 
Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For we've, for if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And to be fair to the text, the death that Paul refers to here is not outward suffering. The, the death Paul refers to here is the, the death of all men, right? The, the death of sin, sin. But how many of you know that so many times our outward forms of suffering are the things that God uses to kill the old man. I can't tell you how many times I've wondered what kind of man would I be if I didn't have cerebral palsy. Where would my marriage be if it, if it weren't for what we've gone through with Judah? That, that's our, our oldest son. Because God has used those things profoundly to shape us into what we are. So often that we want to partner with Jesus in resurrection, but we don't want to go through, through that whole death part. But there is no resurrection without death. You, you don't get to partner with Christ in resurrection, but not partner with him in death. I'll never forget one time I was at my wit's end, and I go, Lord, are you trying to kill me? And I hear my heart, yes. Total annihilation. Everything that's fresh, everything that's genuine, I want all of it dead. Why would he do that? Because he has in mind of resurrection. And unless the seed falls into the ground and dies, it can't bear fruit. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. One of my, my favorite quotes <coughs> by, by a man named Alan Hood is this. He says, Everyone suffers. Everyone on the planet suffers. 
He goes, but believers, we're the only people on the planet who who all suffering counts for something. Everyone suffers. Believer or unbeliever, everyone suffers. But for believers, it counts. It means something. In Second Corinthians 4, Paul writes along these same lines. Second Corinthians 4, beginning at verse 7, Paul goes, But we have this treasure, treasure in jaws of clay to show that the surpassing, that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal body. For we who live, we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. But then look at how he concludes it. Down in verse 16, he says, So we do not lose heart. For though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. (coughs) For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond our comparison. And when you realize for Paul what Paul's suffering was, that for Paul it was being beaten, for Paul it was being stoned, For Paul, it was being shipwrecked. For Paul, it was all these things in the earth. They are light, momentary afflictions. That's quite a deal. But those light, momentary afflictions are doing, doing something. They're preparing for us an eternal Weight of glory. That's huge. The very the very thing that afflicts me is the mechanism that God uses to to prepare for me in glory. Here's how 
being good to you and that thing in your life that looks huge, huge, but really it's a that momentary affliction is producing for you an eternal weight of glory. It's huge. It's huge. We learn in Romans 8, verse 20, that we were subjected to futility. We were subjected to suffering in hope. In hope. Verse 20, again, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Quick question, who's him? Because <laughs> if you want to talk about the ultimate cause of suffering in the world, According to this text, it's him. So who is this? And it seems like we've got three options. We were subjected to futility in the garden. Who was in the garden? Well, Adam was, the serpent was, and God was. Who subjected us to futility? Was it Satan? No. How do we know that? Because it said in Romans 8 that his motive was hope. Satan's motive isn't ever hope. He subjected us to futility in hope. That's not Satan. It also can't be Adam. Why can't it be Adam? Adam. Because Adam was also subjected to futility. Adam wasn't the one subjected to futility. Adam was subjected. That pronoun, him, in verse 20, has to be God. Has to. Who subjected the world to futility? God did. What? Hope? Hope for what? Verse 21. Hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Hope that my suffering, my cerebral palsy, your whatever it is for you, will lead to our, will lead to our eventual freedom, and we will be a first fruits for the freedom that one day comes to the entire creation. Did you know that one day 
There's an war and reign over the creation with Jesus. That's going to be cool, okay? And did you know that you get to lead creation out of futility into freedom? And that you're the first fruits. What God does in setting you free is the f- first fruits of what God will do to the entire created order. Therefore, creation groans for your revealing. And we groan in our current suffering. In the middle of all suffering, we're moving towards something. There's a reason for it. We're going somewhere, and the way that we're getting there is through suffering. Amen. <laughs> Jamie, that, that sounds nice. And that, that may be true for you. You don't know what I'm in the middle of. I just can't see it for me. Of course you can't see it. Verse 24. For in this hope we will be saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. Who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Same way that Paul ended, same way that Paul, Paul ended it in 2 Corinthians 4. Remember, for this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Then it continues, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Here's the point. There is a seeing beyond what can be seen. That, that doesn't make sense. I know, because it's not natural. There's a seeing beyond what can be seen. And in this place of supernatural and gifted vision, 
we're able in the depths of pain, in the middle of the chemo, in the middle of autism, in the middle of whatever, we're able to look and not only believe that God's good, but see it. See it. What was it like to be Noah? It's about to rain. Uh, Noah, uh, there ain't no clouds up there anyway. No, no, it's about to rain. Supernatural sight. It's a miracle. It's not because we have the right theology, not mainly. It's not because you go to the right type of church with the right doctrine, not mainly. It's because you encounter God and he touches your eyes and you can see. I love theology. I'm an Oklahoma Baptist graduate, theology degree, I've read all the books. I can debate any theological topic you want. I love theology. But outside of the context of encountering God, it's meaningless. And I don't want to be this heady intellectual theologian that never encounters God in prayer. I don't want one part of my theology that hasn't made it into my prayer life. I'm going to quit. Where are we headed? We're headed from rough days. 2020 was nothing compared to what's coming. And good, good theology alone won't get you through it. But learning to pray and in the context of prayer, touching the hem of his garment. Abiding in the cleft of the rock. That's how you survive what's ahead. Not because you're 
reformed. Not because you, you this or that. All camps fall. And the issue becomes, have you encountered God? And if you're, if your doctor says, yeah, God's good and suffering, and I, I believe that, great. But can you see it? Can you see it? How, how do you see God as good and suffering? By faith. My faith, evidence, what's faith? Well, I mean, this is Hebrews 11, faith, faith is evidence and substance of things not seen. How can I have faith and evidence of things I can't see? That doesn't make sense. Here we go again. That's the point. Because it's supernatural. And it's being able to see things that can't be seen. Because we're not seeing it with the arm of the flesh. But we see it because we have communion with God in the, in, in the Spirit. In him, we live and move and have on being. Encounter God. How do I do that? Just go look for him. Just go pursue him. And don't quit to define how long would that take. It doesn't matter. You can't live without it. I want to pray for you. God, we, we love you. God, you are indeed good. God, you are all together lovely. And you have, you have a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And we're praying for a miracle tonight. Because we're, we're praying to, to be able to see things that can't be seen. <coughs> How do I see goodness? In death, how do I see goodness in cancer? How do I see goodness in family members who, who betrayed me? How do I see goodness in abuse and neglect? How do I see goodness in being a victim Only through your Holy Spirit.
only when you come touch our eyes. So Lord, please come touch our eyes. God, and allow us to see what can't be seen. <laughs> to see you as altogether lovely. To see you as all magnificent obsession. Even in the middle of pain. Going even right now as Israel suffers. Could the Jewish people look at the way that a Gentile church suffers and be provoked and be drawn to you? God, touch Kathy Crossing. God, lead him, lead him into the depths of your heart. Lead him into the depths of your goodness. God, let deep call to deep. God, and for your own, for your own glory, God, wash over this people. Wash, let all of your billows roll over this people. Wave after wave, truly goodness and loving kindness will follow Kathy Crossing all the days of their life. And they'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God, you alone know all good. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.